Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what is going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Today on Global Truths, we are diving into the topic of new economic threats to the globe, particularly inflation and stagnation as we continue to recover from COVID and its impacts. And just before we jump in, a reminder, everything discussed today does not constitute as financial advice. Now, Keith, let's start with the basics. A lot of people might need a bit of a run-through or a refresher. What do the terms inflation and stagnation actually mean in real terms? So um, inflation means that you get an increase in the cost of living, and that can be from two types. One is that you can get a dramatic increase in the price of goods and services themselves. Some of our older listeners might have lived through the 1973 oil price increase. So during the 1960s, the price of oil actually went down. So the Arabs who were exporting the oil actually helped our economic development by lowering the price of oil. They didn't do it deliberately. It was just the way that things turned out. And then in 1973, we got uh, the war in the Middle East and suddenly the Arabs who were in this strategic reliance with the United States got angry with the United States for supporting Israel in the Middle East war. And so suddenly increased the price dramatically. And that price of oil then flowed through in a variety of of ways. You know, oil, we are living in the age of oil, the same way we talk about the age of stone or the Bronze Age, Mm -hmm. the Iron Age. So, you know, just uh, looking at you in the studio here, I can tell that you are surrounded by oil. So you've got oil on your face. Uh, I'm not sure whether you're wearing cosmetics, but you're certainly <laughs> wearing plastic glasses. Yes. That's oil. Yeah. You've got oil under your backside because you're sitting on a chair with plastic. So, you know, although you would have driven to work and you think, oh, well, that's my limited connection with oil. In fact, we use oil in a variety of ways because we have realized that the oil atoms are fantastic when you break them down and you recycle them, so to speak, in a variety of ways, you know, as... as um, as medicines, fertilizers, and it's incredible what we can do with oils rather than just powering the cars. The problem is, by the way, you know, you're going to end up with later generations saying you've had that marvelous resource and you just burnt it. Mm. <laughs> the, so down that's, the drain. So that's one pro- that's one way of inflation. You get this dramatic increase in the price of oil. A second form of inflation, which is the one that's causing so much concern at the moment, is that we have printed so much extra money. So we have extra money chasing a limited supply of goods and services. And the governments in the Western world and China, but let's just look at the Western world, they've printed extra money. They don't physically print extra money. They just have digits on a screen. And in effect, what they've done is to try to stimulate the economy to try to get around the fact they've closed the economy down because of COVID. So they've given people pension payments of one sort or another, or they've given payments for people who are having to stay at home because they couldn't work during COVID, so they got a compensation from the government. So we've we've now, we are awash with money. I think that's the only way of putting it. And interest rates were kept very low 
And the worry that we've now got is that we're beginning to increase those interest rates to try to dampen down this late, this second form of inflation. With too much money in the economy, we've got to start sucking it out to try to bring back a sense of balance. So they're the two types of inflation. You get a dramatic increase in the price of goods or services, or the alternative is that you print extra money. Yeah. And in terms of stagnation, what is it and how does it impact on the global economy? So stagnation is when, in fact, you're putting more money into the economy and people are just not buying. Perhaps they, they are pessimistic about the future. They want to save money. Australian households have saved a lot of money, which is one of the things that it makes me a bit optimistic about Australia. When <laughs> you've got all this talk about doom and gloom ahead of us, Um one of the encouraging things is that people have used their time to try to stockpile money precisely for a rainy day. But the the disadvantage is that you need to have people going out there to spend things in order to keep the economy moving. So that's the that's the complexity. The economy is an incredibly complicated machine. And so as you tinker with one area, you end up causing problems elsewhere. You've also mentioned a term uh, before in the notes for this episode that you sent through to me, stagflation. I'm guessing that's a combination of the two working kind of opposedly together. Well, and again, some of our listeners uh, who may have been around in the late 1970s would remember this uh, era of stagflation. So that's where you have uh, an increase in the price of uh, or supply of money, etc., and that would normally inflate. That would get the economic activity in going up because you've got more money in circulation, which is what we've had at the moment with all this government printing money to try to counteract the impact of COVID. And then you link up. So that's inflation. But then you also have stagnation. That somehow all this extra money in circulation is simply not working, which is the last time we had a really bad bout in this country, I think, for stagflation would have been Uh, back in the 1970s. So ironically, we've now got generations who've come through, including youngsters like yourself, who have no recollection of this. So dinosaurs like me. (laughs) (laughs) We need you to explain it to us. (laughs) Who lived through these dramatic changes uh, remain haunted by it, which is why we avoid getting into debt and buying these squillion dollar homes at a low rate of interest. I've noticed that um, the governor of the Reserve Bank has actually apologised for giving advice, which, you know, I think it was just just a general comment. He was not giving financial advice, but a lot of people thought, well, the governor of the Reserve Bank is saying the interest rates are going to remain low for another year or so. This is a good time to borrow money. And now, of course, tragically, the price of money is going up because the interest rates are being increased. Yes, I wanted to touch on that as well in terms of uh, looking at it through a lens, you know, being in Australia Speaking of the Reserve Bank, uh, Philip Lowe uh, spoke on TV recently saying, look, inflation's going to rise to 7% by the end of the year. That's his prediction. Is this kind of an impact of of what we're seeing globally as well? It's not just an Australian problem, is no, it? Not at all. No, no, because we've, we've got a war in Ukraine, which has affected energy supplies and affected, of course, food. Um, now, the good news, just say, as which we've touched on a couple of weeks ago, is that for Australian farmers, you've now got new markets opening up, new opportunities. Uh, we're 26 million people who feed 60 million people. So we produce surplus food. So that's an advantage of this tragedy in Ukraine. But it means that a lot of people are now going to be paying more for food overseas. Um, so 
you've obviously got the war in Ukraine. You've got the whole problem of all this COVID money sloshing around as well. So it's not unique to this country. Um, looking at the United States, um, it looks as though the US will enter a recession. They've had an incredible period of economic growth. Again, because of COVID kept a lid on things, people couldn't move around, couldn't buy, sell, etc. And then you had the lifting of all those restrictions and suddenly Americans started spending money again. Now you've got a dramatic rate of inflation again in the United States and a labour shortage, which is also adding to the inflationary pressures. My guess is that the Federal Reserve in the United States will increase interest rates. Remember, I'm not a licensed to give financial advice. Um, but my guess is that the Federal Reserve in the United States will increase the interest rates, slow down this economic bubble which is developing in the United States. And, of course, this will then play into the anti-Biden vote in November at the midterm elections. So President Biden is, himself is not up for re-election but all the lower house and one third of the Senate will be up for re-election and the Republicans think that they can win both those houses back, which will then make Biden's last two years in office impossible. And in fact, they might even try to impeach him for stealing the election, which of course is nonsense, but they could you know, derail the government with an impeachment and, and all the rest of it. So this is, is way how something can then flow on. And of course, if, if America gets caught up from January onwards next year in all these sort of political hijinks with the Republicans making life difficult for Joe Biden, then that also will add to the despair that people feel. So it's interesting how one thing sort of feeds into another and creates all sorts of problems. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today, we are taking a look at the direction the global economy is going in, particularly around new economic threats we're staring down. Keith, I wanted to touch on past eras of the global economy and what we might have learned from them. So you've touched on 73. There was also the 2008 recession or the global financial crisis. Have we learned much from those incidents to frame what we're seeing now? Generally speaking, people don't learn from history. That's the lesson of history. You don't learn the lessons of history. It's interesting that in 2008, the person who was actually running the US economy, Ben Bernanke, was himself an historian of the depression of the 1930s. So at least we had somebody who was aware of the problems of the 1930s and how some of the government actions at that time may actually have prolonged the Great Depression of the 1930s. So he was obviously determined not to repeat those same mistakes. But generally speaking, we, we don't learn lessons. I think that there's always a human tendency to be very optimistic and for people always to err on the side of, you know, well, somehow everything will turn out all right. So they take out massive mortgages for homes. I, I'm sorry to sound so fixated about homes, but for me, the investment that we put into homes, particularly in this country, is a real problem. It's not productive investment. We're not building widgets by investing in homes, and we've got to find ways of, of in increasing real productivity, not just moving money around from one pile to another. So these are real challenges for this country. So uh, housing is, is a real problem for us because we've now, tragically, 
got so many people paying very large mortgages. And in this country, if we have an increase in the interest rate, which has now been foreshadowed by um, Philip Lowe, the governor of the Reserve Bank, then I think we will see a lot of economic suffering. Now, of course, if you're an investor, this is good news. Of course. Because it means that you're going to end up with distressed mortgagee sales, banks will call in the loans, and suddenly, and banks are always in a hurry to sell properties they've had to reclaim. So there'll be an opportunity. And this is how really the economy keeps moving. It goes in cycles. So you have a boom and then you have a bust. And that's one of the lessons of history. You know, going back to the 17th century with, with the Netherlands and with the, with the tulip bubble. The Netherlands was um, the superpower of its day. A lot of wealth. The problem is that Mercedes hadn't been invented uh, or Montblanc pens or uh, luxury uh, jewellery. How could you demonstrate your wealth, that you were a rich Dutch person? Well, you you grew tulips. Sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that. So there was, a, there was a tulip bubble whereby people put more and more money into this bubble. And there's a story of somebody who ate a tulip bulb thinking it was an onion, and it cost the equivalent of that person's salary for the year. Just crazy prices. Is that why uh, there are so many in the Netherlands now? Tulips? Tulips? I, I guess there's a hangover from that wow. era. Then, of course, the bubble burst. Mm. And so if you look back in economics, you, you do get these bubbles. At the moment, of course, the big bubble is in cryptocurrencies. And you've got a number of cryptocurrency collapses in the last few weeks. You've simply had too much money pouring in and you, you get these uh, enthusiasts for speculative investments. My own view is that, is that you shouldn't invest in anything you don't understand. That's the advice from Warren Buffett. So you take a very conservative approach to investment and that way you don't worry about losing your shirt. But you've got a lot of people who are just so um, caught up with the f- and it's FOMO, the fear of missing out. And so they're, they're pouring money into a lot of these cryptocurrencies and a lot of them are going to go broke. In terms of the conversation around inflation and stagnation, how is the world looking at kind of tackling these issues or is it doing that at all? Is it just kind of floating along on the path and see where we land? Well, this is the tragedy because we really don't have a sort of global guiding organisation. And it is difficult. I think we need to probably just look at this completely separately in terms of the developments that we created at the end of World War II. But if you look at the European Union, for example, which has tried to align uh, their national economies of the member states, I think that the the issue that you've got there is that they created a common currency, the euro, which I was opposed to. I think that you end up with the unification of currencies at the end of the process, not at the beginning. You couldn't push through the unification of economies just by creating a common currency. So I was involved in the debate that began back in 1999 with the creation of the euro. Uh, Now, of course, if you're an importer or an exporter, creating a common currency within the European, within the eurozone, the European Union, made a lot of sense because it just enabled you to move money so easily. That's why people like the US dollar, even though it's going down in value, but at least it's a common currency. And, of course, eventually we're going to be talking about a renminbi, which will be the Chinese currency. We're not there yet. And, of course, in the 19th century, we would have talked about the British pound. So having a common currency 
simplifies your life if you're an importer or an exporter or a traveller. You don't have to keep worrying about moving from one country to another, from francs into marks, etc. So that was the argument for the euro. But the problem is that it then put countries into an economic straitjacket. And it was based around the value of the German mark because the British pound would not go into it. It's interesting. Mrs. Thatcher, I think, ended up with the right answer, even though she, her reasoning was that she didn't like foreigners. But, it, <laughs> but what's it saved the British pound? Uh, because the pound has been a, away from these euro currency crises. So, for example, we had the, the tragedy in Greece, which in my view shouldn't have been allowed into the eurozone. But if you were a country with a weak currency, once you joined the eurozone, suddenly you got instant respectability. Suddenly you could start making uh, government borrowings uh, from foreigners because they said, oh, but they're in the eurozone. And that's what then provoked the eurozone crisis that has run on, particularly for some of the the pig economies. So that's Portugal, Italy, Greece, oh, and Spain, the pigs, plural. Um, So we've had all sorts of crises by people trying to work through a common currency. Now, the bigger picture is how on earth you run the global economy from a big picture point of view. And the economy just has too many moving parts. It makes it so difficult to try to identify and how you try to control it because you try to uh, make a change in one part, but then you end up with problems developing in another. There is no such thing as a win-win solution in economics. So in other words, that one person wins, another person loses. Standard example at the moment is that if you are an older Australian, you would have been complaining about um, a lack of return on your savings uh, because the price of money is so low. On the other hand, if you were a young homeowner, you'd be thinking it's fantastic. Now, of course, the position is going to be reversed because that young homeowner is going to be paying more in their mortgage repayments, which means that older Australians living off interest will suddenly get more interest. So you have winners and losers all the time. Well, I guess to wrap us up, Keith, I wanted to touch on, you know, the impact for Australians. It's a huge conversation around dinner tables at the moment is the issue of inflation. What can we expect from the immediate future over the next year to two years? And is this something that's going to ease here in Australia? I think eventually it will ease because it always does. And the best uh, answer to high prices is more high prices. Because eventually as the prices get too high, people say, I'm not going to even think about buying it. And that will then will take some of the uh, air out of the bubble and things will start to slow down again. So if you look at Sydney real estate, for example, the price goes up and down. I know overall there is an increase in the price of of the Sydney real estate, but uh, you do get um, setbacks to the growth. And I think that's what we will see in the long term. My view would be that you should only be investing in things that you understand. So therefore, I think the uh, cryptocurrency is something which I personally would avoid. Another interesting development, of course, is the the value of gold. So, and this is the hedge against inflation in the sense that that present that Jesus received 2,000 years ago today would buy the same amount. It has helped manage to hold its value (laughs) through 2,000 years. Now, that's not a recommendation that people buy gold, but it is a reminder that some things um, are certainly worth investing in over the long term. 
Well, interesting insights, Keith. And like I said, it's something on a lot of people's minds at the moment. And all we can do, I guess, is wait and see what happens. Absolutely. Thank you. Listener.